You're listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. Drive July has become an important fundraising event on the calendar for all Australians as they go alcohol-free for 31 days and raise funds for those affected by cancer. Bowel Cancer Australia is again a major beneficiary of the 2023 campaign. Funds raised will expand Bowel Cancer Australia's Integrated Bowel Care Nurse pilot program, enabling more patients to receive dedicated support from a local bowel care nurse. Despite being the third most diagnosed cancer, bowel cancer patients don't receive the same level of support as other common cancers. I know this only too well. You often feel like you have the wrong cancer and that for some reason you're not quite as important as you sit in the chemo chair or the hospital ward and watch other cancers receive specialised care. I believe that every cancer patient deserves to have access to a dedicated nurse. And as a bowel cancer survivor, every bowel cancer patient deserves a bowel care nurse. Today, I'm joined on the Bottom Line podcast by Lauren, who sadly lost her dad to bowel cancer in 2022 and is fundraising for Dry July. Lauren, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Steph. It's lovely to talk to you. Dry July has certainly grown in popularity. Why are you raising funds this Dry July, Lauren? So this is the second Dry July I've done. And I've been familiar with Dry July for, I feel like, as long as I can remember. But there was never, I suppose, I think I've supported friends in the past who've done it supporting various cancer charities. But I had never, never done it myself until dad passed away last year. And it was one of his colleagues that shared his uh, fundraising page on LinkedIn. And he wrote this beautiful message about dad and said, you know, if anyone can support me, you know, jump on board and, and, you know, let's raise some money for for a really worthy cause. Um, And I sort of thought, okay, well, I've got nothing to lose at this point. Let's just do it. Um, And I was really grateful for the support that I had last year. And and so then when the email sort of started coming around again for this year, I thought, oh, well, let's just, let's do it again. Um, But um, the main reason why I decided to do it was just for dad. Uh, I've had a lot of, uh, I've had a few other friends that have had parents pass away from bile cancer over the last probably two years one of my uh one of my close girlfriends her dad passed away in 2021 from bowel cancer and I think he only had it for about 18 months and um and so it's just it's just one of those things that you I suppose you feel compelled to do it in a way um and it's it's actually probably one of the easiest things you can do. If you're not a, like I'm not a natural big drinker anyway, so giving up alcohol for a month is is a small sacrifice that I can make to, to raise funds for such an important cause. And obviously it was only a year ago that your dad passed away. He passed away in June. So yes. I can see it's still quite raw for you. And I understand I lost a parent as well when I was quite young. It's very hard, isn't it, watching someone you love go through such a difficult period? Yeah, it is. And it's it's such a different experience that you really can't explain to somebody at the moment. Even, even sort of close friends of dad's, I can't really explain the situation to them either because they've got 
elderly parents who are sort of going through different stages of their life where they've, you know, got things sort of going wrong as they do when you get older, like to when you get to be that age. It's been really difficult trying to explain that situation to people because in, unless you've had to, to go through it, you can't put yourself in those in that person's shoes. It's it's strange thinking back on the last two years because dad passed away just after his two two year anniversary of his diagnosis. So it was a just a whirlwind two years. I feel like it went in the blink of an eye, but it it was such a big time for us at the same time. Because he was diagnosed during COVID, wasn't he, Laura? He was, May of 2020. So Queensland came out of the very first lockdown, sort of mid-May. It almost went back to normal here, which was which was really bizarre after having, you know, two months of everyone being at home. And we had been overseas in early March. We got back just as Australia was shutting down pretty much. And he had started to feel unwell while he was over while we were in the States. And we just sort of thought, oh, it's, you know, we've been eating a lot of, you know, different types of food that maybe it's not agreeing with him or, you know. It's a greasy fat food over there, isn't there, in America? Lots of pasta, lots of pizza, you know, just American food, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and we'd sort of been trying to enjoy our lives too for the nine months prior to him being diagnosed. We just sort of, you know, like to go out for dinner together a lot, do just enjoy ourselves. And so we didn't think anything of it. And we came back and obviously had to stay home for two months. And he kept just sort of saying to me, oh, I just don't, I don't know. I just feel like I just don't feel well. And so as soon as we were able to go and get him a GP appointment, got him a GP appointment, they sent him for scans pretty much the next day. Were they concerned, Lauren? I think his GP was. I don't know whether it was to do with his age or... Because he was diagnosed at about 54, wasn't he? About 54, so... It was a weird turn of events and it all happened quite quickly. Within a a space of probably four or five days, we went from a GP appointment to him having a scan to then them calling him two days later to come back into the GP and and basically then said, you've got bowel cancer. It came as a complete shock, I imagine. Complete shock. Yeah, complete shock. But weirdly, and I don't know why this happened, but I was sitting at home and I thought, gee, he's been at the GP for a really long time because I couldn't go in with him, obviously. So he just said, look, I'll drive. I won't be there very long. I'll come home. I said, okay, no problem. And I just sort of thought, dad's been there a really long time. Something's wrong. Well, because GP appointments, you're usually in and out quite speedily. Particularly when you're getting test results and things like that too. It was just, anyway, I was sitting here and then all of a sudden I just thought, I bet you he's got cancer. Like I, I just, I don't know why. And I, and it turned out I was right. And then from there, it was just sort of, actually the day after we found out, we went to the oncologist. And then two days after that, he was in hospital having his porter cap put in and we basically started chemo. And what stage was he diagnosed at initially, Lauren? Stage four. He was diagnosed at stage four. Did he have any symptoms prior to that that you're aware of? I've had a few people say to me that they noticed in 2019 that he didn't look quite right. He cared for my mum for quite a long time and so I think a a lot of that sort of stress I think maybe exacerbated the situation a little bit. And so towards the end of 2019, you know, as I said, we were trying to just sort of enjoy ourselves. He was sort of getting back into a normal rhythm of life. And we sort of had nine months of just we were blissfully unaware that anything was going wrong. And so it 
yeah, it was just a complete surprise. So it's treatment for your dad and did he have any quality of life? Yeah, so when um, initially when he was first diagnosed, they said, okay, we can, we'll start on, with, I think it was it was 12 rounds of this particular heavy duty type of chemo and it was really successful. It was fantastic. Dad had an operation to put a stent in his bowel because they were concerned about the tumour sort of, you know, being able to like blocking it and causing all these other problems while he was having treatment. So we had the stent put in, started the treatment and the treatment pretty much the tumour in his bowel just disappeared. It, it was fantastic. So we had the stent removed um, at the end of 2020 and that operation, he had about six weeks break and that six weeks break somehow because it had spread to his liver, it had just all this time to just completely get out of control. And because I think the plan initially was 12 rounds of this heavy duty treatment and then we were going to go on to a maintenance pill. And that was going to be able to keep him at a manageable level so that he could go and do whatever he wanted to do. Because aside from feeling a little bit sick from the first lot of treatment, he could go and do whatever he wanted to do. He he really he loved to cycle. So he used to get up early in the morning and jump on his bike and go for a ride. He'd go play golf. He would, you know, go and pretty much do whatever he wanted to do. But the six-week break that we had at the end of 2020, early 2021, that sort of set us on a path where we were kind of fighting against something that we were already behind on. And then there were some issues with the um, site where the surgery happened. It wouldn't heal properly. And so they, were, they sort of thought, okay, well, we're not going to pump you full of chemotherapy if you've got other things going on. So we'll give it, give it some time. And it was just a, I don't think there's anything that really they could have done um and so instead of we we tried the maintenance pill and the maintenance pill did did nothing because of that break that we had and um and you know every week dad's blood counts were just sort of going through the roof his liver levels were going through the roof so they put him back on uh iv chemo uh every sort of two weeks and then it would change to three weeks and go back to two weeks and that sort of we got some really, really good results from that. And then towards the end of 2021, it just, it almost just like the cancer in his liver just had a whole different gender and it just stopped uh, responding to pretty much everything. And that's when we sought the help of a, I'm trying to think he's a, like a, he runs the clinical trials at a, at a hospital here in Queensland and he recommended that we do genomic sequencing. So we did that and that those results gave us two trials, two clinical trials that dad could join. Wait lists were ridiculously long and they were worldwide. So the doctor sort of said, you know, it's not, it's not going to be uh, beneficial to you to try to wait for it. Um, we were able to get access to two of the drugs that were on one of the trials. So we trialed one of them for three months. At your cost, I'm assuming. At our cost, mm. yeah. And it was just, uh, I remember dad telling me, he said, oh, we, we're just going to try it for two months. But it was like, one of them was one of them was like $3,000 a month and the other one was double that. And and so he just said, we're going to try it for two months. And I said, okay, okay. If you, if you want to do it, we'll do it. Um, and thankfully we did only do it for two months because it just didn't do anything. Um, I think it was too, 
the the actual cancer in his liver was too far advanced. So that was sort of that's when we knew we were sort of getting towards the tail end, but neither of us sort of said it. You know, we both kind of we're my everyone sort of says that my dad and I are basically the same person. So there are a lot of times where we can just look at each other and we know exactly what the other one's thinking. And you're an only child. And I'm an only child too. So and dad and I have always been very close. So yes, and we just I think we got to that point and I was I was doing a lot of it. I was gonna say, how did you cope as a loved one? Because I can remember looking after my mother when she was ill. And that's a lot of lot for a young person to take on. How did you cope? When I think back on it, on the two years, I think I was just in autopilot most of the time. I just sort of knew what had to be done. And dad was my first thought whenever I sort of did anything. I sort of thought, okay, well, you know, we've got chemo this day. We've got specialist appointment this day. He's got a scan this day. Got to make sure that I, you know, I'm cooking good meals for him so that he's, you know, feeling his best, all that type of stuff. Were you working, Lauren, at the time? I was. I was working full-time at the time. And you were doing all his care for him? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, we had, uh, and, I mean, the good thing for Dad was that for the majority of the two years that he was sick, he could do general things. So I didn't worry leaving him at home because he worked for himself from home. So I didn't worry leaving him at home by himself while I went to work because I knew that, you know, he'd be fine to go make himself a cup of tea and he'd have meetings that he'd have to do online and all that sort of stuff. So he would be busy. And so he worked up until a month before he died. And I think it just kept him, it kept him busy. It kept his brain working. I went back to work two weeks after he passed away, which is probably a bit presumptuous of me. Um, I thought it was going to be a good idea, but it just wasn't. Well, everyone grieves so very differently and your your situation is very unique as well. So I... Yeah, so I ended up resigning from that job as well and I ended up having a four or five months off and back full-time working now. We often forget about the loved ones in this process and the impact that it has on them. Did he have and did you have any other support in terms of bowel care nurse support, people visiting the home when you needed? Was there any additional support that you received? The support that we had from uh, the hospital here where Dad was having his treatment, the nursing staff there were just phenomenal even though dad had quite a few hospital stays and because it was COVID a lot of the time I had to just drop him off leave him there they always came down to meet him and take him up and and you know put my mind at ease a little bit I think and one of them dad had quite a good relationship with and he could just send her a text message and say really sorry don't know if you're on shift today but this is happening what do you think we should do and she would often reply I've got a bed here get Lauren to bring you up so that sort of care that we received was just amazing but during the two years we probably didn't utilize services that were available because we were just I just feel like I was in a tunnel you're in the thick of it you're in the eye of the storm I would imagine yeah I do wish and it probably would have been helpful for dad too just to have somebody else to speak to other than me because his group of friends were really great but I don't think he really got too deep with them about things and he really 
the only person he saw day in, day out was me other than hospital staff. So I think it would have been good for him to be able to just have somebody else to just bounce things off or have somebody that wasn't me. Yes, we often say, I know when I was going through my treatment, I had a psychologist myself and I found that really helpful because it meant that I could be I could speak completely unburdened Yes, because there's always an element if it's family and friends that you don't want to burden them with an already large load to take on. So what would your advice be then, Lauren, from a loved one's perspective about somebody else who might be going through something similar and um, experiencing a parent who is ill or has passed away? What's your advice? I feel a bit strange giving people advice about this because I, I know from, you know, the last sort of five years for me have sort of just been the world's just been flipped on its head. And I know how different the grieving process is for everybody too. And sometimes people forget if you're a loved one of a person that's regardless of what it is, whether they when they're going through something, you're actually grieving during that period as well. So you grieve long before the person passes away and and even if they even if it's something that is is curable you still grieve for the person that you lose during that period and and i've only realized this in the last 12 months but in my tunnel vision that i had for 2 years while i was trying to you know keep dad going i was grieving to a degree so i suppose the only the only advice that i I can give is to just tread gently and and to be kind to yourself. Even when you think you're not doing a good job, you are doing a good job. Because I used to say that to myself all the time, like things would happen and I'd go, oh gosh, why did I not think to do that? And dad would be the first person to go, Dal, you're actually doing a great job. Just relax. He goes, I don't know what I'd do without you. So yeah, you're doing a better job than what you think you are. That's right. And you get on a treadmill. And I think your words of be kind to yourself is so, so very important. I should practice what I preach, but <laughs> shouldn't we all? <laughs> but it's it's probably the only and I and I get told it, I get told it by my psychologist all the time too. So that's the main advice that I could give is to just be as kind to yourself as possible because the process isn't easy, whether you're a loved one going through uh, watching a, a parent or a partner or child going through something it's it is you just you've got to be kind to yourself that's right and I think your advice that everyone grieves so very differently is is very true on a bit more of a lighter note because it is dry July I know that you love to have a drink with your dad and I believe he used to make you special cocktails is that correct he did he uh, we did two trips together the end of 2019, we went to Hawaii, which was our first Christmas prior to my mum passing away. And it, I just remember dad saying, let's just, I don't want to do Christmas. Let's just get out of here. Let's go somewhere where they don't really do much in the regard in regards to Christmas. And so we just spent two weeks lounging by the pool at the hotel, ordering every cocktail under the sun. And they made a really good Mai Tai in Hawaii and so dad took a picture of the menu that had the ingredients in it and when we got home (laughs) he went and sourced all these just ridiculous bottles of alcohol (laughs) 
that I now have sitting in my pantry because that's what we did for the whole of the lockdown period in 2020. <laughs> you and the rest of Australia, particularly Melbourne. <laughs> and it was just, oh, Melbourne, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and he would, I just remember in, in early March when we got back from New York, it would be four o'clock in the afternoon and he'd be working from home and I was obviously working from home during that time too. He said, oh, do you feel like a drink? <laughs> He said, would you like a Mai Tai or would you like something else? I was like, yeah, go Mai Tai, why not? And so he'd just disappear into the pantry and I can hear him shaking things up and (laughs) doing all the, like measuring all the amounts out and he'd just come out with these two perfectly presented Mai Tais. And then when we were in New York, I'm trying to think the other, the other cocktail that he loved to drink was a Negroni. And so one of our favourite restaurants here in Brisbane makes a really beautiful Negroni. And again, Dad took a picture of the menu and went and sourced this one ingredient that differentiated this Negroni from every other Negroni we've ever had. And it was a, it's a Greek spirit and it completely changes the taste of or takes the takes a little bit of the bitterness out. Uh, yes, that's why I don't like a Negroni. It's a yes. for me. This, this Greek spirit is just, it's a game changer in terms of a Negroni. And so, again, Dad. After dry July, Dad everyone, this. after dry July. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so there was one bottle of this spirit left and um, and it's it's sitting in my cupboard also. And so that was the other thing. He would just rotate. He's like, do you feel like a Negroni or do you feel like a, a Mai Tai? Um, and so that was just that was just our thing. Do you, have you created a non-alcoholic cocktail for Dry July? I haven't, but I've tried some really amazing ones over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been, I've been out a few times for meals with, with some of my girlfriends and it's amazing how many restaurants now have non-alcoholic options or they they can make it and just take the alcohol out. It's it's fantastic. It is. I I went to the launch actually of Dry July and and this is not a sponsored uh, post I might say, but Liars the brand do this most amazing group of cocktails and I had a Negroni and an Amaretto Sour, I think. I couldn't tell the difference. It was non-alcoholic. The calories were less and they also do an amazing sparkling, which I hadn't found one. Most of them were a bit like lolly water. This is the closest I've tasted to bubbles and I've been drinking that as well. So it's, it's nice to find something that you like that's non-alcoholic and you wake up fresh the next morning. Oh, it's it's excellent. I found some really beautiful non-alcoholic wines as well. Being winter, you know, I love I love a glass of red at night. And they've, um, there's some really, really nice non-alcoholic reds because previously any others that I, any that I've had. Tasted like Ribena? Or they just, they, they're fizzy. And I just, I go, I don't want a fizzy wine when it's a red wine, you know. I just want it to be, I want it to go with whatever food I'm having. Mm. And I don't want it to taste like I'm having a glass of soft drink because it's just, it's just weird. So that's been really good. That's been really helpful in terms of getting me through. But as I said before, I, it, having a month without alcohol is, is not kind of a, a thing that stresses me out. So in a way, it's it's just lovely way to remember your dad. It is, yeah. So what is your beverage then, your go-to beverage for Dry July? I've had a non-alcoholic espresso martini, which I could not tell the difference at all, except I woke up feeling really good the next day. <laughs> I've had a non-alcoholic mojito, which was really good. 
And then I found a really nice bottle of red wine. I'm trying to think of what the brand is, but it was a it was a Pinot and it was just divine. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Lauren, finally, I always ask the people that I interview to recap and provide me with three snappy points that they want listeners to take away from today's podcast. What would your three be? Probably the first one would be to not dismiss any symptoms that you have. I find that particularly as women, there are so many things that go on with us that we just go, oh, it's probably just this or, oh, it's probably just, you know, oh, it's that time of the month or I've had a hard, you know, had a hard gym session that day. Maybe I've just twinged a muscle or something, you know, but you just can't dismiss anything these days anymore. Too many things can can go wrong and have time to really get a really take over and then you end up in a situation sort of similar to to dad's and mine where you're kind of fighting against something that you're already behind on so that would be number one um number two would be to support bowel cancer australia it's unfortunately it doesn't get quite the media coverage that i think it deserves Every cancer organisation is important because it, regardless of what cancer you get diagnosed with, they need funds to be able to fund research and find cures and provide support. But I just don't think that bowel cancer gets enough exposure. Oh, thank you, Lauren. No, I would agree with you on that. <laughs> and number three would be to be kind to yourselves. Yes. Particularly if you're a loved one that's supporting somebody or you're trying to kind of I guess, get through a difficult period if that person's passed away to take each day as it comes. Lauren, thank you so much. You have been through an almighty few years, not just with your dad, but your mum. What an incredible human being you are. What a lovely, kind human being you are. And we're incredibly thankful that you're raising funds for Bowel Cancer Australia for Dry July. I really appreciate you chatting to us and telling your story so authentically today on the Bottom Line podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Steph. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.